This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Active duty military personnel who need private mental health services are now able to receive them thanks to a nationwide civilian network of volunteer mental health professionals. What we're doing is trying to provide free and voluntary services to people who don't have other options within the military. Then, there's been a dramatic change in the number of women receiving college degrees in recent decades. What caused the change, and what's it mean for women and society? Having access to college degrees has been a really important factor in empowering American women to become more socially integrated and more politically engaged. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this week's show, right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Men and women in the military are getting private mental health care thanks to a nationwide network of volunteer health professionals. Here with the story, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Joining us now is Dr. Howard Waitskin, Distinguished Professor Emeritus at the University of New Mexico, who coordinated a study on this. Doctor, what were some of the specific reasons that service members gave for why they used the civilian services instead of military? The main reason is their feeling of double agency. That is, the military professionals inherent in their work are responsible both to the patient and to the command. And the usual parts of the Hippocratic Oath actually don't apply in some areas, in particular confidentiality. So when clients are referred to us, they've often been very discouraged with their experiences with military, medical, and mental health professionals just because of that inherent conflict in their role. So they feel relieved to talk with a professional who is only concerned about their own problems. And just to clarify, the researchers studied service members at home and overseas who got help from Civilian Medical Resources Network. Can you describe what that is, please? Sure. We're a network of volunteers in basically all parts of the country. And we've been doing this since 2005, although I and several others of us have done similar support work with military personnel previously actually going back to the Vietnam War. This recognizes that people who are active duty in the military often do not have access to the services that they actually need. So what we're doing is trying to provide free and voluntary services to people who don't have other options within the military. And I understand the civilian group provides second opinions, treatment, and letters that give information about diagnoses, treatments, and recommendations. So, Doctor, can you characterize, given what your study revealed, how important are these services? Well, we feel that they've been in many cases life-saving. I don't want to over-dramatize the situation, but we actually do have a very disturbing public health epidemic going on now of suicide 
and other serious mental health disorders within the military. In particular, one active duty GI kills himself or herself on the average every day. And among veterans, it's even worse. It's actually 20 veterans killing themselves every day. There are actually going to be more deaths from suicide in the current wars than from combat by far. So what we found is that people, when they're referred to us, and they're referred to us by the GI Rights Hotline, which is another organization of volunteers from faith-based organizations and peace organizations around the country, when we receive the referrals, the clients are often very discouraged. Actually, about half of the referrals involve clients who are actively suicidal or even homicidal. And they're so discouraged that they often can hardly speak. And as soon as they realize that there's a person on the other end of the phone whose only interest is in them, we experience them opening up and their depression and suicidality tends to decrease very quickly. So we've actually been very gratified. We've, to our knowledge, luckily not had any suicides in the 12 years we've been doing this, even though about half of our clients are suicidal when they arrive, and about 72% actually suffer from severe depression when we actually evaluate them. So we feel that our services are pretty helpful. We're speaking with Dr. Howard Waitskin, Distinguished Professor Emeritus at the University of New Mexico, who coordinated a study on military members extensively using a civilian organization for medical care. And, Doctor, you've pointed out that some barriers to seeking care, at least within the military, include a negative impact on the service member's career, a stigma. How can the military address these problems? Well, we believe that based on our experience, both clinically and in our research, that first of all, the military has to recognize the inherent conflict and contradiction in the role of military health care professionals and mental health professionals. It's very difficult when those professionals serve two masters in the sense of both being there for the client but also for the command for there to be a situation of trust and confidence, especially when confidentiality isn't honored. So we believe, first of all, that people within the military should have the right to access civilian sector services that's not in the for-profit sector, that is in not-for-profit organizations so that, like managed care organizations, they don't benefit from restricting access to services. Doctor, what aspect of your study's results were the most surprising? We found that actually 93% of our clients experience the available services in the military as inadequate and inaccessible to meet their needs. So the vast majority of our clients are saying that they simply don't feel confident in the services that are accessible. We also found that for the clients who had experienced military trauma, the majority actually did not have trauma related to combat. They had non-combat related trauma, which usually had to do with harassment and military sexual trauma, not related to actual combat. We also found that 38% of the clients expressed distrust of their command. 
So that's a very substantial proportion feeling lack of confidence in the command in terms of trying to relate to their own mental health and physical health needs. We also found very high rates of mental health disorders when they're assessed through our diagnostic processes, that is 72% with major depression and about 60% with post-traumatic stress disorder, which are percentages that are much higher than have been found in other studies conducted within the military. Quite a bit of information there, and we appreciate your sharing it with us. Dr. Howard Waitskin, Distinguished Professor Emeritus at the University of New Mexico, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. Next, women are earning more college degrees than ever before. That story, coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. 